Hello, Trash Crusaders. Welcome to Episode 7 of Save Trash Cinema, the podcast where exploitation and exploration come together. It is I, your humble host, your guide through trash cinema, and your friendly neighborhood garbage can, Cayman Darty. And on today's episode, we are inflating our whoopee cushions, charging our hand buzzers, and channeling our inner grade school shenanigans for the 1986 cult classic. April Fool's Day. But before we get into that, let me introduce you to the man who revolutionized the term Panamanian Petting Zoo, <laughs> my friend and co-host, Patrick Schweiger. Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse yep. me? Yep. I just I Urban dictionary what a Panamanian Petting Zoo is, and I am befumbled, Cayman. Well, I'm reading this live on air. A Panamanian Petting Zoo is when one forces one's partner to pick the nuts and corn out of a bowel movement. The partner then presents the nuts and corn to in a cup or a dish. Then one tosses the nuts and corn onto the bed where the partner eats them like a goat or other typical petting zoo animal. Uh, uh, Yes, you said that. And the question still remains. Am I wrong? Categorically, you are not wrong. Okay, perfect. Well, on to our very special guest for today's show. One might say he's the only man courageous enough to show up to a Halloween party dressed as Sexy Wilson from Tom Hanks' Castaway, Jeremiah Hobbs. Jeremiah, how are you? Years in a row. I'm good, man. I have uh, two things to say. I have a comment and then a question. The comment is um, to keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and my or question is, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Hmm. Actually, this is a very G-rated show. Oh, okay. Very oh, G-rated. okay. Yeah, we'll, very we'll read that whole thing then. Yeah, we'll very edit it G-rated. out. ABC right, style. Well, What's up, boys? We are sponsored by Disney. <laughs> oh yeah, we are sponsored by Disney. <laughs> this today. is actually this. Uh, this is going to be a huge announcement for Save Trash Cinema's audience. We are going to start being on Disney Plus, Hulu, mm. ESPN Plus. We're we're wrapped into the family. I'll be doing an unrecognizable cover of We Don't Talk About Bruno before this episode is over. <laughs> Boy, well, that, sounds, uh, that sounds just like something that happened earlier in this week, doesn't it? <laughs> well, enough about all of the shenanigans that uh, apparently Hollywood's elitists celebrities like to get into in their downtime. Let's do a little quick housekeeping. We'd love it if you rated and reviewed the e- rated reviewed the podcast on the podcast app of choice. Don't forget... You can be on the show by emailing us your thoughts and questions to savetrashcinema at gmail.com, or you can DM us on Twitter at savetrashcinema or on Instagram at savetrashcinema as well. If you haven't yet listened to last week's interview with the delightful John Campopiano, then I must oblige you to do so. He's a fantastic guest, and I promise that you don't want to miss that interview. We'll be continuing to release minisodes in between our normal episodes, so make sure to stay tuned for those because we have some very exciting and varied content being released each and every week. You know I like the sound of that. I know you do. Well, with that out of the way, why don't we go ahead and get the ball rolling and jump into a little overview of April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day is a 1986 horror thriller directed by Fred Walton and written by Danio Bach. 
Fred Walton is the director of the acclaimed 1979 cult film When a Stranger Calls, whereas Danilo Bach is best known as the creator of the Eddie Murphy classic Beverly Hills Cop. Hey. I know Patrick is very excited about that. How about that? How about that? I started follows- deep diving yeah. this this movie, by the way, on IMDb, like down to uh, executive producer Frank Mancuso mm. Jr., uh, oh, yeah. who did the Species uh, wow. trilogy, right? And every yeah. Friday the 13th after the first one, <laughs> the <laughs> dude got his money in. Uh, he said, I'll do two, three, four, five, 12, and 13. <clears throat> There's actually some references in the film to Friday the 13th part two. That are included, which we'll get to in a little bit. But the film itself, it follows nine college students staying at a friend's remote island mansion, and they begin to fall victim to an unseen murderer over the April Fool's Day weekend. But nothing is as it seems. The film stars trash cinema stars such as Deborah Foreman, who was in Waxworks Grizzly 2, Clayton Rohner from Nightwish and Destroyer, Amy Steele from, guess what? Friday the 13th part two and the <laughs> honkiest Kevin Bacon lookalike Ken Olant, who are loyal trash crusaders will remember from our St. Patty's day drunk cast leprechaun. He was the person we refer to the entire film as the honky Kevin Bacon lookalike. Mm. So mm-hmm. if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a fucking train wreck, but <laughs> we should probably do it. Now, and, was he uh, Rob, was he Rob in this movie? He was. He, he was Rob in this movie, okay. which I think I call him Rob at some point when we get into it, but we'll, we'll, we'll mail that down. In 2008. More, uh, sit-ups before he's kind of <laughs> making, I think. That's in, uh, in 2008, there was a very loose remake made under the title of April Fool's Day. The film is drastically different in terms of story and quality. However, it does star one of my favorite modern screen queens, Scout Taylor Compton, so... At least it's got that going for it. April Fool's Day runs for an hour and 30 minutes and comes in with a lukewarm Rotten Tomato score of 55%. You can currently find this film to rent on all streaming platforms, but if you're a physical media connoisseur like myself, you can snag the remastered collector's edition from Scream Factory right now from most shopping outlets. And with that overview out of the way, why don't we take a little time to discuss some initial thoughts? Patrick, why don't you start us off? So uh, this movie came in, this film, you might call it, this sure. piece of sure. cinema. It is, yes. It has some highs. It has some lows. I felt like the the first half, I would say, pretty slow. Really loved the vibe at first. The first 10 minutes, I was like giving me real big My Bloody Valentine vibes. And then I felt like they just kind of, there was just so much exposition but ultimately, mm. it did lead to some really fun uh, humor, some fun. Uh, and I don't want to spoil the story just yet, but mm-hmm. some some twists, some turns. Uh, I do think it's, you know, obviously this is we've been choosing these movies very specifically. I saw a letterboxed review. I want to oh. maybe sprinkle in a couple of those from Please. Sam, a two star. He said it's I, I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me, but he's like, there really is a horror movie for every day of the year. That is more than just a regular day. Like any holiday, a, a tier, B tier, C tier, even Z tier holidays. All of them have a horror movie. And I was like, mm-hmm. Sam is correct. And that's what you we're know, doing here to to kind of piggyback off of what you just said. You are indeed correct. There was a movement uh, coming off the heels of Halloween where they specifically wanted to make holiday horror films. Hmm. So you have. You know, Friday the 13th, you have My Bloody Valentine, April Fool's Day, Mother's Day, um, Graduation Day. 
Halloween. One. Well, I mean, there's Halloween. There's like 12 of them at this point. <laughs> got to be 13. So, yeah, I think we got enough of the Halloween. So, I mean, hell, when we get to Christmas Thanksgiving, guys, Thanksgiving, well, that was later. That, okay, now, there that is later. Blood Rage. Blood Rage is a Thanksgiving film. And then there is a Labor Day film called The Mutilator wow. that, that was released under the name of Labor Day. Or no, sorry, it was under it was under the sorry, it was under the name of uh, Fall Break. Mm. But it takes place on Labor Day weekend for Fall Break. Of course. Um, so there Arbor really Day. is. I can't oh, wait yeah, to come there. back on Arbor Day. Oh, there, I don't know. I'm gonna have to look up and see. I know they make a joke about that in uh, Hellfest, this like more recent film through uh, Rooster Teeth. Um, and it's and they have like one of the big running jokes is, is that one of the main characters is a villain from the movie Arbor Day, which is a fake movie they made up for this. But yeah, no, I guess not. But it's well, essentially Patrick, the happening. <clears throat> oh God, maybe that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, Patrick, thank you for your thoughts. Jeremiah, why don't you tell us what you think about April Fool's Day? I, uh, I surprisingly uh, loved this movie a lot. Uh, it had that classic 80s, like five minute intro um, yeah. that. Uh, late last night as I was starting to watch the movie, I was like, I, I, I'm not going to make it. And then right when they get on the ferry, some of the jokes that they were making, some of the um, kind of twist on the horror film where every guy there was getting denied <laughs> by every girl on the ferry. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wish that I could play Chaz. Um, that's who I see myself as still mm -hmm. as a 33 year old. But I would definitely have been uh, Harvey, I think. Uh, in this Hal, movie. my name's Hal. My name is Hal. You know, I just kept thinking they kept calling him Harv the whole time. Harv, he's, yeah. He's called Hal, Harv, and Harvey. So I just referred to him as, as Harv. Um, that's he's top build in this movie. They were really you know, trying to make him uh, a star, I think. He's also like the most young Republican that you will oh, yeah. ever meet, ever. <laughs> he... It came in. I don't think you would know this person, and I don't know that this person listens to our podcast. But a friend of mine, and Jeremiah, I think you know Brandon Browning, really looks like Hal. Like they, mm. there is something. They have that like quaffed hair, mm. uh, white boy. Definitely, there is a Brandon situation here. <laughs> so if you're listening, Brandon, you're not. If but. you're not, it's incredibly insulting. If yeah. if you are, I I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> well, Jeremiah, <laughs> thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, I think initial thoughts, perfect. Um, but, you know, like we do every episode, why don't we get the show on the road? So let's go on to April Fool's Day, everyone. Paramount Pictures cordially invites you for a weekend getaway at the party to end all parties. This is the craziest party that could ever be. <laughs> Turn on lights, because I don't want to see... <laughs> April Fool's Day. Get ready to party till you drop. The film starts with a home video cam. A group is traveling via ferry to an island that their friend Muffy lives on. We cut to Muffy as she's straightening up the basement in preparation of a party with her friends. It's established that the ferry is taking her friends to the island and will not be coming back until after the weekend. She finds a jack-in-the-box, and we get a flashback to her as a child, opening it as a present on her birthday. Early trivia 
for you and the folks at home came in. Ooh. Deborah Foreman, uh, who plays Muffy St. John, I believe, came in early to audition for Muffy St. John, which can I just say, breaking from the trivia, a top 10 cinema name, Muffy St. John. Yeah. <laughs> what a name, right? Mm-hmm. The trivia goes on to say, but the director and producers didn't feel she was right for the role. They were close to signing several other actresses, but they backed out for various reasons. Foreman really wanted the part and petitioned for another audition. She blew everyone away the second time around and landed the role. So actors that are listening, the lesson here, never give up. Always annoy them with another audition. I was That's say, the be obnoxious. Be, be obnoxious. obnoxious. And honestly, I'm glad that she ended up getting the role because like, she's honestly pretty damn good in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, Every time yeah, she shows up, she's weirder by the minute. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she's yeah, great. Her like decline throughout the film is so pronounced, but it works really well, and I, I really enjoyed it. Well, I also love um, – I wrote the beginning monologue down. I took notes for this, by the way. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm more prepared for this than I've been for anything in five years. Uh, the beginning monologue that one of the ladies says that she, uh, she wants to work with handicapped children. Her parents are her best friends. She wants to go to convent school and she likes to fuck on the first date. Yeah. Was this, yeah. was this Mary O'Toole Riley O'Shea? This is Mary O'Toole Riley O'Shea. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. I was, I was in the minute that that monologue happened. Yeah. She, that, cause I'm like listening to him like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like this, <laughs> this is good. Patrick's going to be so upset. And then she movie. proceeds to, and then she's the, like, yeah, yeah go fuck ahead. on the first date. And it's like, all right, we're back in it. Bring it back. I can do more than one thing. And then uh, the first scene outside of the video cam, she like she's taking her clothes off. She's I mean, I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but she's taking her clothes off. She's laying down on this thing to sunbathe and just close up on her vagina. (laughs) Just like hard zoom. But I'm getting ahead. Going to going to spoil a little bit for for the audience here, but there is no nudity in this film at all. So not a single and it is incredibly perverse mm-hmm. though the dialogue is hysterically well, perverted there's there's like a, a a hint of it you can kind of see through some things at one point but uh, no official nudity and oh, then well, all of the harder than me well chaz and and uh whoever he's with are naked but you don't really see anything while they're doing oh my it, god you know? yeah. get to that holy shit well speaking of chad <laughs> Chaz the documentarian oh, prank on the ferryman by telling him his fly is open and his hostess Twinkie is hanging out. Then he kisses him. Like what a moment. <laughs> what? what a moment. Uh, some trivia. The novelization by Jeff Rovin includes character details and subplots not in the screenplay or the final film. A few examples. The reason Rob is late to the ferry is because he was fooling around with a married woman at a motel nearby and had to rush, which is why his fly was unzipped on the ferry. I think Jeff Rovin was maybe doing a little fanfic there. He was oh, yeah. little. He was hoping that he was with a, a married woman in a motel, I think. Which which we just addressed Rob. Rob is the Kevin Bacon lookalike. Um, and he, honestly, more attractive than Kevin Bacon. I know that might be <laughs> blasphemy, but... Dude's a looker. Kevin Bacon, he has sharp features. I could see why you would Mm -hmm. think this man is more attractive than Kevin Bacon. I disagree. But Kevin Bacon does have sharp features. You know, I was watching an episode of Monster Factory. Um, This is completely unrelated to anything. And if you've never seen Monster Factory, look it up. It's the McElroy bros. And they were doing Elden Ring. 
And at one point, the character as they're making it looks exactly like Steve Bashimi. Nice. And I'm like, how the fuck do some of these people like become famous actors? Like you were, you were not a like Paul Giamatti's another one. Like sure, nothing about you screams sexual. Hey, and he was like, he he had an obnoxious audition one time. He booked it, <laughs> and here he is. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, the group boards the ferry. It's established that Muffy is rich as fuck, which if you haven't noticed, the name Muffy St. John is a tell that if your name is Muffy St. John, you are probably rich as fuck. Um, it's at this point where Traz, Ch- Traz, Chaz tries Trash. to get the 40-year-old looking friend, Nan, who is way too old to be part of this friends group. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tries to get her to look at porn. And then when she declines, he sniffs her hair never revisited once again like we never see it again never (laughs) right as the ferry goes to dock at the island biff or arch i call him biff his name is arch just watch the movie you'll understand he's the jock of the group and muffy's cousin skip get into a tussle about a game they were playing biff throws the knife that they were using during the game into skip's stomach he coughs up blood and falls off the side of the ferry Three of the other chaps jump into the water to save him, only to find out it was an April Fool's Day prank. April Fool's. Look, I regret to inform you and the audience, I got got. Mm. So many of these April Fools, even though the name of the movie is fucking April Fool's Day, it completely tricked me. Yeah, I got, I got this I got. one especially. Uh, like once I knew that it might be there, I was I, I was questioning the whole thing, but. That's uh, that's exactly right. Also, just a little side note: if this movie is made today, Arch Cummings, uh, Biff is uh, is gay. Biff is secretly mm. gay, hundred percent, because that dude is always hugging like for a, li- a little too long. Each of his mm. friends, he's like, "We got him." There is some mm-hmm. there is some real gay energy in this film. Oh yeah, I love it's it. I love 80s, it. And everybody's yeah. doing everybody. It's fluid. Yeah, yeah. it's good, fluid, baby. It's good. It's remaining, <laughs> remaining in the water. The ferryman decides to try to lasso the ferry to the dock. Instead of getting onto the boat to do so, he remains there. As he struggles to get it connected to the ferry, the ferry smashes him between the boat and the dock. They manage to pull him to safety, but his face and arm are mangled from the collision. Which, like, I'm not going to spoil it. But until like we know what really happens here, I was like, you deserve this. Trying to anchor from the water? Dumb as you, shit. You deserve a lot more, sir. Uh, some some uh, trivia. At the film's beginning, Griffin O'Neill's Skip character is blame, blamed for a prank-turned-accident that leaves a ferryman disfigured. In a bizarre case of life imitating art, O'Neill was indicted on manslaughter charges the following year for a drug-induced boating mishap that resulted in the death of Francis Ford Coppola's son, Giancarlo Coppola, came in. What? Whoa. Wild. Absolutely. Look, this is what Save Dry Cinema is here for, okay? Yep. <laughs> because I can tell you, I didn't fucking know this until we watched April Fool's Day. We're I would learning. never have known this. This is, an, this is edutainment, okay? Yep. We are edutainment. We're wow. learning the audience about deaths of Francis Ford Coppola's son. That's wild. Also, like to talk about the moment itself, mm-hmm. how weird that this other random boat comes out of nowhere, who is we learn to be the constable of this island. And the guy whose face is busted 
they throw him physically throw him into this boat and then oh, yeah. the captain of the boat just jumps in and they just fuck off so this mm-hmm. boat is just chilling no one anchors it this boat or this captain just completely abandons ship to take he jumps off like the rock yeah. yeah he he hops from one boat to another and uh, and hopes that that boat just stays where it's he supposed to be treated his own boat as the turnbuckle and he jumped off that turnbuckle yeah and nobody gave a shit about what's his name skip 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 they that toss into that boat is rough mm-hmm. it, like he did not do a take two that that was mm-hmm. one take and you they're like you want to try that again you're like i'm i'll stay right here on this boat i've i've dislocated both my shoulder <laughs> and shattered my collarbone i'm he remaining here take brain injury hospital, he hurt his head oh. one thing led to another cte a year later kills Giancarlo. Frank, it's all connected it's all connected the- the constable who was on his boat and sees the incident takes place rushes over in his dinghy and helps the mangled man and the other ferryman into his boat. The disfigured and bloodied boatman screams, they did it! They did it! As they head back to shore on the police boat. Muffy arrives and is accosted by the police captain or the constable about her friends playing pranks and jokes. He tells Muffy that he needs her boat and that the kids must remain on the island until he knows the condition of the ferryman. Some trivia. Lene Quigley was originally cast as Muffy St. John, Mm. but she had to turn down the role due to scheduling conflicts with the return of the living dead, 1985. What I said before about um, Deborah Foreman being Muffy and how fantastic she did. As much as I appreciate that, this movie would have been elevated about fifteen to four hundred times with Lene Quigley. Who the name? I need to look. I need to look. Lene Quigley is the the primo scream queen, and we will cover so many of her movies mm, on yeah. this, especially yeah, yeah. one of my personal favorite, the horror workshop or the horror workout, where she does jazzercise to different horror scenes. Mm. That's a real thing. I have a copy of it. I'll be watching that when we get off of this. Uh, yeah, you will. This yeah. Call. I highly recommend it. She's wow. absolutely, I love, yeah, I love Lene Quigley. So the group arrives at Muffy's Island home and takes stock of their surroundings. On the dining room table, each playset contains a Barbie and Ken doll rep- resembling each of them. Hmm. hmm. The girls go to the kitchen to make hot dogs and baked beans. They also talk about anal sex. Yes. Yeah. They oh do. my god! And then that shot of the hot dog coming out of the pack. Oh, perfect. <laughs> if if Patrick, if thirteen year old Patrick saw this film, there would be some scenes that would really have made him think a lot. And that's one mm-hmm. of them where they're talking about all the different sexual things. There's scenes in this movie that make me think a lot too, and I'm a thirty one year old man. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, some some trivia. Uh, while the crew were lighting a scene, Deborah Goodrich began reading a Cosmopolitan questionnaire to her co-stars, which elicited a huge conversation that caught the attention of director Fred Walton. A few days later, Walton handed Goodrich the magazine and a new set of questions and asked the actor- actress to improvise a scene, which wound up in the final cut. The picture was shot entirely in British Columbia, Canada, with predominantly American actors. A separate piece of trivia. Those two things so are not related. They are related specifically to this one scene. The first one, let's let's address this. The fact that the director was like, this was hilarious. Yeah. Why don't we spice it up a little bit and talk about anal sex? And throw some anal in there. Yeah. Yeah, just perfect. The second thing is I want to address is that when we did My Bloody Valentine, there's the infamous hot dog boiling water scene. 
And I was so upset about the fact that someone would boil a hot dog. Mm. And I thought I chalked it up to, oh, this is just Canadians being ungodly and Mm. being white people. Yeah. Terrible human beings that that deserve to be locked up in the the frozen wilds. However, (laughs) this is also shot in Canada and they cook the hot dogs in a frying pan. So... I think what we can can take here, I think Jeremiah was onto something. I think white people cannot be trusted with hot dogs. Right. Sometimes they'll do good, sometimes they'll do evil. Sometimes you know? they, they'll incorporate it into their cosmopolitan questionnaire. Yeah. So sexy. Speaking of hot dog water, uh, so my brother, mm. he lives in the boonies up in North Carolina. And I mean I mean boonies, I mean middle of bumfuck nowhere. And he was telling me once about a guy that he knows who was telling me, he's like, you know, yeah, I got sick one time and, you know, I was told you're supposed to drink like a vegetable broth or chicken broth. It helps like a cold. He's like, but I don't really like any of that stuff. And I didn't have any. So I just boiled some hot dogs and drank hot dog water. Hmm. Justin? Not my brother. This guy, my brother knows. Got it. But like, <laughs> who the, you're fucking drinking hot dog broth? Hot dog broth. Look. I I I am so speechless. I really don't know what to say about that. I'm my, I'm moved in ways I didn't know I could be. Yeah, I moved too. My asshole just fell out. Yeah, <laughs> it's gone. I can't find it. I Ooh. dissected one of those things in eighth grade. I'm not. I did. I haven't eaten one since. Uh, no, <sighs> thank you. You an asshole or a, a hot dog? Both. Great. Not since eighth grade. <laughs> well, you know. One day you're going to have to spice up that sex life and <laughs> just say it might be back on the table for you. Might be. Wow. Might be. Oh, Things sit down for dinner. Nan, the lady too old to be in this friend's group, sits in a whoopee cushion. Biff's chair falls out from underneath him. And during the toast of the evening, all of their drinks leak and pour all over them. April Fools. Or as Muffy says multiple times in this film, April Fool. What the fuck does that mean? What the fuck is that? What is this singular April Fool? Stupid. She's pointing it at you. At you. Wow. You fucking April Fool. Have you ever been called a fool in your life? Like somebody's looked at you and been like, you are a fool. Absolutely. I mean, I've done enough stupid shit for someone to say that, but I'm not sure if anyone's ever actually said that. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, you are an April Fool? Really aggressively? No one has ever done that to me specifically. I have been called a fool. There There is power in the word fool. Mm, there is for real there is as the group departs for bed more pranks are played exploding cigars s&m chains left in drawers sinks that spray water in your face doorknobs that fall off pictures with moving eyes and a cabinet full of used heroin needles (laughs) classic pranks uh my question is where did muffy get the used heroin needles is there a subplot here that muffy is addicted to heroin that wasn't part of it that wasn't part of this thing that was just somebody found those as well (laughs) (laughs) that was just a 1986 byproduct of working in film and television right that was yeah that was the coffee cup in game of thrones i blame this all all on nancy reagan this entire <laughs> movie is could be just laid at the feet of Nancy Reagan. It is her fault. Yeah. And when I go to hell one day, I will find her. Sure. I will call her an April Fool. See how she feels go. then. No one sucks like Nancy. 
So it's at this point where Biff walks in on Chaz and Chaz's girlfriend Nikki fucking. Yes. It's my favorite shot of the entire movie. I, I know we're we're just in audio, but this dude has his leg hiked up past her head. Yeah. Her legs are behind her own head. I mean, it is a it is a game of twister. It's just limbs. They're like all covered with a sheet. All you see is two heads and just every limb is out of the sheet. We, we paused it and started counting. Like, are there more than two people here? Because it really seems like there might be. This was like the best unintentionally game. funny shot of the whole movie. Because yeah. Arch, he does the collar up into the room. Nothing but legs out of the room. Collar down, hitting the rug. That's the best. Oh, perfect. perfect. That's and perfect also, movie making. Biff. So, okay. Let's unpack this. Jeremiah, I already know your answer. It's yes. You go on vacation with some friends. Yeah. You go to this house that your friend owns. It's night one. It's still like pretty early in the night, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Biff just goes into his own room to just jerk it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who does that? Other than Jeremiah, probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't do it twice a day with your friends at vacation then you're going to become like a arch cummings is going to become a predator if he doesn't masturbate quickly you're right you're right he's already like halfway there with everybody men women uh, the ferryman just such an odd choice for him to like get this this magazine and just like all right here it is collar up i'm ready he let's have have a moment of of intimacy with myself and then the he's an april fool everybody said no once again, Nancy Reagan, your ghost out there. I know you're out there haunting the ground. <laughs> Fuck you. If if Nancy Reagan had been there, Arch would not have had to be alone. You're right. True. They would have shot up heroin together. <laughs> the group meets for breakfast in a game of kickball round, and they notice that Muffy's cousin Skip is missing. Rob and his lady Kit sneak off to the boathouse for a little fuck session. The two lay down on the creaking floor, missionary style. But before they can get it on, they see Kip's Skip's corpse floating underneath them. Uh, Amy Steele, the actress that plays Kit, at one point was approached by a producer who voiced concerns that she had gained weight since filming had commenced. Amy's response was, well, you hired this amazing caterer. Whose fault is that? To which hey. I say, Amy, I stand with Kick you. Kick ass. Yes. All her fucking move right there. That's yeah. great. Also, she's definitely the hottest person in this yeah. movie. Like what? Oh, yeah. Hands what down. are you talking Hands about? Down. Definitely not Nan. She's like 85. Sure. <laughs> which 85-year-old women can still be hot. <sighs> that's a different That's a different podcast. Yeah. We Welcome to... Silver Cotton Candy, the podcast within a podcast where Patrick just (laughs) talked about all the 85-year-old women that he'd like to have sex with. I'm your host, Patrick. Yes. We're going to start with Helen Mirren. I mean, that's fair. Um, Okay, yeah. So this is the first, like, death scene we get. You know, we get Mm -hmm. a nice bloated, water bloated Mm -hmm. corpse Mm -hmm. floating underneath him. And I like it. Like, I like this scene. Um, it's, it's, you know, what's going to happen. Like you sneak off to a boathouse as a horror film. The trope is there's going to be something or you're going to get killed. Yeah. And so I kind of, I thought it was a bit original though. Like having it like float underneath him instead of like actually get attacked. I thought that was really cool. And it kind of plays because the body goes missing. And so, you know, I thought it was great. And I don't want to 
Right. Yeah. Not spoiling uh, the ending. When it happened, I was like, this is this timing is too perfect uh, for them to be laying down on this thing. And then suddenly he's there. Uh, It makes sense. uh, Yeah. Ultimately. But Uh in the moment, I was like, what is happening? I felt like um, the I could have got here sooner. Like that kind of going back to my original point in the, in the overview uh, or the kind of our original thoughts We're at this point, we're like 35 minutes in and we're just finally getting to like something happening. And so like, there were some funny bits obviously. And like, we're, we're having fun riffing on it. It just, at this point I'm like, okay, let's go. Come on. Something needs to start happening. And then it starts happening, which is good. But, but I was like, this could have happened 15 minutes ago. Yeah. I don't know. I, I 100% agree with you. This is definitely, it has a slow intro, but you know, I think it works in this film because you're setting up like there's outside of Harv. Like I kind of loved all of the characters in this movie. Yeah. yeah like they were all really fun. Uh, they're all goofy as shit. They're all white privilege as fuck. But I agree. You know, I so I enjoyed getting you know more time with the characters. And there's movies that it works like, and I think it works in this one. But you know, there's also movies that I think, like My Bloody Valentine, the killing starts at the very beginning of the movie yeah. and it doesn't let up. And so you know, you you can juxtapose both of those together. I think there's movies that works well, movies it doesn't, and. You have to be in the right mood, I think, to, sure. to let it get to this point. Um, Ironically, but- yeah, like I, I, I sort of disagree uh, in the sense that, like, I start to struggle a little later on in the movie when we're stuck with just a couple of the characters left. True, sure, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> the first thirty minutes, it's a little slow, and like the right after dinner, when it just keeps cutting to each person's room and recutting to each person's room. You're like, what are we? What are we doing? It, yeah. Let's go to bed. It's it, it's like everybody did coke or that heroin. Um, but yeah, like later on when we're stuck with with like uh, Rob and or who who is it? Nan and uh, Robin Kit. Robin, Robin Kit. Yeah. yeah, left. You're like, yeah, I, miss, I agree. I miss You're right. Biff, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So they come back to the group, Robin Kit, and they tell them what happened. They see, you know, his corpse. They think it's a prank, but decide to search for him anyway. In the search, they find his knife covered in blood. At this point, they surmise something bad has actually happened, and it's probably due to the ferryman who was injured earlier. We next see Nan confronting Muffy about a tape that was left in her room. Muffy doesn't know what she's talking about, and we cut away to Biff, who's out in the woods looking for Skip. To which, at this point, so she confronts her about this tape, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm watching the movie with Rose, my wife, and Devin, my other wife. <laughs> and uh, we're like, th- they don't really talk about what the tape is, right? Mm-hmm. You just hear a baby crying when she and I'm walks like, into the room. So you do hear the baby crying. But we came up with the storyline that Ooh. this is a sex tape of Nan that Muffy has that she's using to blackmail her. So you're saying that her her sexual groans and moans Sound are like that of an infant child. <laughs> yeah, she sounds like a baby. But Patrick, I think we've addressed at this point. You like eating the own corn and nuts out of your own shit. You like to fuck eighty five year old women. You have a fetish. With I never have. Them. I'm just saying I would. And now this, and I'm starting to really get curious if if I should call the cops. Look, I think look. he's like theater for all ages, zero to eighty, baby. <laughs> Look, <laughs> if there are any therapists listening, I could use your services. <laughs> this is a, Do you this have is a, a deeply discounted uh, offer at all? I entertain you with 
by being part of this podcast, you help me sort through my trauma. I think it's a fair trade. I think that's a very fair trade. <laughs> Jesus Christ. As he's wandering through the woods, Biff hears Twix snapping around him. We see a snake rearing up to bite him. Before it can, he steps in a rope trap that yanks him up in the air. As he's swinging around, a mysterious figure walks up, and Biff screams in horror. Here's um, what you should not do when there's a snake nearby, is walk the same goddamn three steps back and forth 15 times. The fact that he was not snatched up by that thing the first 20 times that he walked those three steps is baffling to me because he he heard a, a sound walked this way heard a sound walked this way heard a sound unless this way unless you want it jeremiah Ooh, <laughs> that's true that's the only time in which it makes sense to do exactly what he did is when you really want it it's when you really want that snake to just bite your eyes and blind you i kill you wow the film cut, cuts back to nan who's obviously having a mental breakdown, which is totally fair, considering I too would have a mental breakdown if I were stuck in a secluded house with that much white privilege. And the host has my sex tape. And the host has your sex tape. <laughs> I mean, all these fucking kids, they, they all go to a private liberal arts college. Been Their there. friend Muffy St. John lives on a secluded island in a mansion. Been there. And then you've got a young Republican in your party, and it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, here it goes. I'm going to hear nothing about fucking Hunter Biden's laptop for the next 72 hours. <laughs> Been there. Chaz and Rob show back up to the house, and they say they can't find Skip or Biff. They decide it's time to call the constable for help. Muffy mm. tries to console the group by telling them that Skip and Biff are probably just playing a prank. The young Republican Harv and Chaz's girlfriend, Nikki, go to the well to fetch some water. Hey. After a mishap with the bucket and flashlight, Nikki decides to go into the well to retrieve both. The ladder she was using to get into the well breaks out from underneath her and she falls in. While she's splashing around, she sees the disembodied head of Biff, as well as the corpse of Nan. Yes. Before I jump into this trivia, when you think about... So for those of you who've watched the film, so I'm not going to spoil it yet, but for those of you who watch the film and know like the twists that are coming, when you sit back and think about the well sequence, such an expertly planned and and uh, done prank, or, or like like getting them to fall in and yeah. and whatnot, like loosening the steps, getting the bucket to fall, like that one of all the ones that of all the the situations, this one is expertly crafted. Yeah. Kudos I also love uh, that. that Harv gives um, like a young Republican's effort in trying to get her out of the water. Mm -hmm. He stands like this and goes, come on, reach harder. Right. Reach more. <laughs> We're not even addressing the fact that um, Harv at this point, he knows that Chaz is with Nikki. <laughs> and he still is like, hey. I want to you plow know, your fields. I want to plow your fields. Yeah. All right. Like, yeah. I'm not, I mean, not literally. I don't like being out in the sun that much, but I metaphorically, I'd like to plow your feet. Sexually, field. he'd like Sexually. to plow her feet. Please don't make me do any sort of 
hard physical labor. Correct. Uh, some trivia. The interior of the well scene was shot in a tank on an L.A. soundstage at the end of production. The water was dyed to look murky, and crew members discarded their cigarettes right into the tank. Deborah Goodrich, who plays Nikki, spent so much time submerged in the nasty water that she left the set with an ear infection. Sweet. I hope she got some workers' comp. You know, uh, Nikki leaves with an ear infection, and Chaz leaves with gonorrhea. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. But there was that little Twinkie. The constable calls the house, tells them that it couldn't be the ferryman since he's still in the hospital and hasn't left. And he says that he's on the way to the island as soon as he can get there. And then when he arrives, he will shoot off a flare. One of the girls goes into Muffy's father's study and finds a photo of a young Muffy standing alongside another girl who looks just like her. Muffy tells her that it could take all night for the constable to get there due to the tides and leaves. And I'm like, okay, okay. Twins, okay? Twins. And at this point, I I get an answer very shortly after this, but I'm like, why is no one addressing the fact that Muffy has become a completely different person? Like she, mm -hmm. from the night before looks completely different acting completely different like why is no one addressing this they do in a couple scenes which we'll talk about but i'm like at this point i'm starting to get annoyed that no one has like actually actively noticed that this is a completely different person seemingly yeah it's she's at this point she's got like her hair is completely in disarray she's oh, got yeah. big rings under her eyes she's kind of shuffling around she's not being very talkative and she's just ultimately being super creepy <laughs> um, yeah, which, exactly. Like we mentioned earlier, like it's the progression throughout the film that Deborah Foreman puts on as Muffy, where you see this like mental degradation going on that is just expertly done. Like yeah, it's I feel like great. And at the same time, I feel like she didn't watch the dailies because day by day, it's like uh, <laughs> it's like exponentially weirder. Like mm -hmm. moment by moment, they're like, "Now come in for this next scene. You're going to be just a slightly weirder than you were the last time." And she's like, uh, right. "Just walking." Yeah, <laughs> like and no ghost. one says a thing. It was like, oh, "No, man, it's probably nothing. It's fine. We found her heroin needles, guys. It's that's right. Fine. That's true." Yeah, and no, I would be walking around like that after a night of heroin with Nancy. And because Reagan. this is 1986. If we address this, Nancy Reagan will bust out of a closet, snatch her up, and then lock her away for the next 50 years of her life. So we don't want to do that. I mean, just say no. Don't say it three times. I mean, we've definitely mm -hmm. we've we've covered that there's going to be some busting with Nancy Reagan. That's for sure. Yeah. Keep going, <laughs> oh, yeah. Harv goes back into his room where he pulls a pistol out of his bag. He tucks it into his pants and he leaves. The group is next seen arguing about the things they found in their rooms and how it might be related to the things happening around them. The group soon starts discussing that Muffy isn't acting right and that she might have invited them there for the weekend to kill them off. So this I'm is the first time that, yeah, that they yeah. finally address like, hey, uh, Muffy's kind of fucked up and um, she, she might be Looney Tunes just straight up killing people. Yeah. I, I mean, was glad is, they finally addressed it, but I was like, yeah. it took us an hour, and she's been acting like this for 45 minutes. Yeah. But, I mean, they, the thing is, though, is they, they talk about it, and then they're all like, nah, that can't be the case. Right. You should just move on. Unbelievable. Nick, Unacceptable. 
Unacceptable. Nikki and Chaz get into a disagreement over whether to stay or head back to the dock. So up in their room, Chaz decides to put on the S&M gear to cheer her up. She leaves the room to go grab some stuff and comes back to find Chaz prostate on the bed. She thinks he's covering up his boner, but when she slaps his hands away from his crotch, his penis has been cut off. He is in full, like he is wearing complete headgear. Like he looks like a gimp from uh, Pulp Fiction at this point. Yeah, exactly. And now he's, but he's still wearing his like white t-shirt, gray vest, yeah. uh, 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 plaid pajama pants. Mm-hmm. Twinkie gone. Why is this a trope that that happens? Why is the penis gone and I've bled out from it until I died? A hard like, uh, what is this? Of all the deaths, this was the one that was the most unbelievable to me because, like, in the well, we saw uh, Biff's head, and like we saw the other guy floating, uh, bloated, uh, skip. So, like, these other deaths have made sense then, but yeah, it, like. There's barely even any blood. How's this dude dead? One of my favorite uh, trash Shock. cinema uh, classics, Teeth, has the mm-hmm. scene where uh, where her vagina bites off the guy's dick underneath the waterfall. And it's just shot of the dick, shot of her screaming, shot of him screaming, shot of the dick, shot yeah. of her screaming, shot of him screaming. Uh, one of my favorite scenes of all time. But it's, it, it's another one where the penis falls off and you're bleeding so hard that that you're done (laughs) that's it do you think you'd bleed out faster if you had a boner because all that blood's pumping into that erection to try to maintain it full mass i mean if you have a like worst case scenario that's my biggest fear now if you have healthy healthy blood flow Mm. and a healthy hard-on then i think probably you would bleed out faster you know, I also think that Chaz shock, like strikes me as a person who would use Viagra. So he's getting like triple the amount of blood flow down there. So yeah. do you think like every he regularly takes it even when he's not going to have sex? He microdoses. Yeah. He microdoses Viagra. Viagra. <laughs> yeah. Only way for him to get an erection anymore. He's so desensitized to all of that 80s pornography. And look, he said to himself, Reagan's bush burn my bags. I live here, baby. That's it. Well, his bags got burned or chopped off. Nikki recoils in fear, and when she opens the door to flee, the mysterious figure is standing there. The film abruptly cuts to Rob and Kit as they're exploring the attic of the house. Kit finds the Barbie dolls from before covered in blood. But before Hmm. they can explore anymore, they see the flare set off by the constable. They flee downstairs, but Kit stops to look for the others remaining in the group. She inadvertently gets locked into one of the rooms, but is soon saved by Rob. They try to find Muffy, but instead find Harv hanging like a stuck pig swinging from the ceiling of her room. Okay, this is when I start taking real issue with this film. Okay, At this point, we have seen a dead Biff, a dead Skip. They have now seen a dead Chaz, a dead Nikki, a dead Hal. Slash Harv slash Young Republican 1986. And like the stakes have been raised for them and like they seem upset, but they are not acting as if five of their friends are now dead. Mm. They're just like, yeah, we really we got to find a way out, man. Like we got to 
really like we're not in a good place. We really and if it, like in a real situation, it is fucking. I am losing my goddamn mind because everyone that I know that I came with is now dead. And I'm like, how is it? How are we not more upset about this at this point? And then I got over and I just kept having a good time. But I was like, what? Come on. How are you guys not more moved by what's happening right here? I mean, that's fair. I mean, that's more than maybe Harvey, though, was the one that they don't like. So that was the one that, like, knocked him back into really sure about what they should be doing. Harvey, too. Damn it. Yeah. Harv strikes me as a Ted Cruz kind of person. So if. I were to have seen a young Ted Cruz like that. I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> Good thing yeah. he won't be president later. And then, then we ask ourselves, right. sure. Then then the question is like, was it worth losing Harv if we had to also lose them? Probably because we lost Harv. Mm. Like mm. We, we they we, I would have happily had Harv died if that means everyone else has to. I get it. All yeah. right. You, you yeah. swayed me. Yeah. <laughs> the two get to the dock. And they find the boat the constable used to get to the island. However, the constable is not there, and the key is missing. In the boat, they find a letter about a missing patient from an insane asylum for a person named Miss St. John. The same last name as Muffy. The letter states the missing patient is dangerous and could be trying to make it back to their childhood home. Mmm. Mm-hmm. We're uh, starting to put the pieces here together. The two sneak back into the house and enter through the basement. They see a trail of blood upon entering and like idiots decide to follow it. It <laughs> leads them to a furnace where they find the charred remains of Muffy's clothes. Nice. This is when I start to I started to be like, OK, we have a Michael Myers situation on our hands, like the crazy person that Muffy just has not even referenced because she hoped that he or she was still in the in the asylum i was like this is cool yeah i'm i'm ready for a killer i'm ready for like the sequels april fool's day five uh you really have to do that one by the year but uh yeah this was really cool i liked this spot yeah i agree i i this is when i'm like okay i've been there have been some frustrating moments but i kind of see now where we're going or at least you are telling me that there's a bigger picture here that you're starting to reveal so i'm like okay let's I'm now going to see where this is taking me because I, I didn't figure it out. I, I, they, they got me as yeah. they got me most of the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Jeremiah. Yeah. It's um, the, the, the setup for the, the twin is expertly done because at this point in the movie, I'm starting to think like, Hey, okay. Muffy's been acting batshit crazy. And they even address earlier, which we didn't really talk about, where they're talking about how Muffy is acting weird. And Kit says something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she's like, and she's been wearing nurses' clogs. Mm. Like, who the fuck wears those? And yeah. they all kind of laugh at it. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, it's it clicks. And I'm like, oh, shit. Muffy's dead. And right. Muffy's been dead <laughs> since probably before we even see her. Um, the flashback at the beginning, it's probably whoever the fuck this other person is. Yeah. And I am fully invested and fully erect yeah (laughs) next to the furnace they find height markings that show the height of muffy as well as a mysterious person a twin perhaps by the name of buffy classic written on the wall and one terrible fucking name both both of these muffy and buffy Buffy and buffy terrible and And they're both short right yeah muffin for muffin (laughs) muffin and buffin yep muffin and buffin (laughs) muffin and buffin 
Actually, I think they address like it, it when Harv and Nikki are out by the well. They're like, he's Harv because Harv's whole shtick is is that he's there because he wants to, uh, he wants to get a position at Muffy's dad's oil company, right? <laughs> right. Which is like, yeah, that's the most Republican bullshit I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, this is the whole purpose he's there, and he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get with Muffy. I'm gonna. So he's like, what? He's like, hey, what is a uh, Muffy short for? And then, like, Nikki's like, muffin, muffin top, muffster, big old muff, <laughs> and just starts like listing off a whole. And I'm like, that that scene was really funny. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I was like, muff dive. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course, you piece of shit. Of course. But yeah, I mean, Muffy the Vampire Slayer win. We already got Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When are we getting Muffy the Vampire Slayer? I feel like there is a Muffy the Vampire Slayer. It's just a softcore porn adaptation. I sat for one second in the middle of this movie going, is this like the prequel to Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Like, are we about to find some crazy girl who's killing people, but all these people are vampires? Now we're into it. Okay, let's go. A young Sarah Michelle Gellar makes her cinematic debut. Hey. You know, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer would have come out what mid like probably less than 10 years before mm-hmm. this uh this movie was or after this movie was released so yeah you know point. there very well could have been at, at any point in time some connective tissue that tied the two together maybe it's frank mancuso jr executive Ooh. producer i'll have to look it back up they next see the photo from their room that they had pulled down earlier the one with the wandering eyes when they pull it down, it reveals muffy's decapitated head which falls yes. down into kid's hands which the way they do this is is a fun callback where one of the pranks from earlier was the picture with the eyes cut out and it's the, it's one of those cat clocks. Mm-hmm. And then this time they have the picture in the basement with the eyes cut out. They remove the painting. Boom. Muffy's head. Loved it. Bring it Love that callback. We, they brought it back, baby. Bring it back. Mm. A mysterious person can now be seen nailing the window closed on the basement window. The two run upstairs and see Buffy, the insane twin, trying to break into the kitchen using a carving knife. Rob gets locked into the pantry somehow, and Buffy attacks Kit. <laughs> somehow. They really don't address how that happened. <laughs> you know, it's kind of... it's Honestly, I kind of feel like this is a good callback to when Harv has this like half-assed attempt to, to try to help Nikki when she falls into the well. Because in this scene, it's just like Rob being like, just banging on this door like, I'm not even going to try to open it. Not even bang on this door and be like, I love you, kid. There's a couple of happy accidents uh, that that Muffy is going to take into account. uh, Mm -hmm. Because I think maybe that one just shut and he's like, why? Why can't I get out? Yeah, I don't know. You shouldn't have gotten in there in the first place. I'm convinced the film editor accidentally cut a five second shot that shows him getting locked in because all of a sudden (laughs) he's just locked in this pantry. Somehow, some way, miracles happen every day. Buffy continues to attack Kit, but keeps missing with a knife. And Kit stumbles through the dining room up into a pair of doors. As she keeps trying to evade Buffy, the doors open and she stumbles into the living room. Where everyone from the beginning of the movie is still fucking alive. April Fool's, baby! April Fool's! I got got. I did too. And then like all of a sudden everything made sense. Like Skip dying out of nowhere. Buff or Biff, uh, his head all of a sudden being in the well. Nan out of nowhere being in the well dead. Mm -hmm. Like all of these deaths started to make sense. Like, oh, none of them were dead. 
This was all. It's such an incredible moment. Like the grin on my face was already pretty high because I'm like, this is fantastic. I love this. And then it was like ear to ear because like she stumbles in and the whole room is lit up. And everyone's just kind of sitting around and everyone ignores her when she comes. Yes, in. that was the and best so, part. There's a good there, few seconds. Yeah. yeah. Then there's like a moment in my head while like no one is talking, like no one is saying a word. Like they're just all kind of talking to themselves and doing their whole shtick from before. And I'm like, holy fuck, are we in a dream sequence? <laughs> like, are we Jacob's laddering right now? Like, are we're in a like, and then they all turn around and start like laughing at her and yeah. making fun of her. The whole time this is going on, you've got Rob still stuck in the pantry, mm-hmm. just screaming, oh, I love you, kid. I love you. What I thought was going to happen, I thought this was going to be a classic case of this other thing happened and the other person doesn't realize it yet. And now he's going to like accidentally kill himself or like mm. he's going to get himself in a situation that everyone is then going to be like, oh, shit. This didn't have to happen, but it could have happened 20 times. Yeah. How could've. puts a gun in his back pocket? Like somebody yeah. has to walk in on him and then very quickly be like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Right. This right. is a, we want you to be a part of it before he, somebody gets shot in this movie. Yeah. Which it is addressed. But before we get to when Muffy starts talking about all that, we cut back to Rob in the pantry. He looks to his right and the mangled ferryman pops out and kisses him on the lips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls off like the prosthetic mangled face and slaps it on Rob's face, opens the door, and then Rob bolts out and he runs into the room where Kid is now standing and everyone is just making fun of him. And that it was incredible. If I incredible. if I am Rob or Kit in this situation and this all happens to me and I'm the last person in on the joke. I would lose my fucking mind. I would be so pissed. This is when everyone would know how poor of a sport I am with pranks. I hate being pranked. And if this happened to me, I would. N- I probably wouldn't be friends with any of those people ever again. I could see you walking on stage and slapping the shit out of uh, one of us if that sure. happened. Sure. I kind of do a lot more than that. If, if and then that, we if might give you happened. an award like 35, 40 minutes later. Maybe. <laughs> well, back in the room, Muffy goes on to explain that this indeed was just one big April Fool's prank. Uh, She will be inheriting the house, but had to show to her father that it could be a profitable investment. So she teamed up with Skip, who come to find out wasn't even her cousin, it was her brother, and they put together a whodunit prank that will be now used for weekend retreats for, for a format of sorts uh, for guests that now come and stay at like a bed and breakfast that they will be converting the mansion into. Which, so the real, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. The real question that I have is that that picture that uh, that Nan finds earlier in the film, right? That has the two p the two little kids standing next to each other, and they mm-hmm. automatically go, "Oh, that's two little girls." Is that a picture of Skip and and Muffy? Mm. The agents and if probably so, does Skip look that. like a girl in that picture? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, look, point. okay. Well, we got to think. This is the, the mid '80s, and all all girls at that age had bowl cuts. It was, I mean, all of us hair. did. Everybody had exactly. A bowl cut, Everyone right? had a bowl cut. So yeah, I think it's easy to say that a girl and a boy who both have a bowl cut and who are indeed twins. 
standing yeah. in dresses. Um, yeah. The thing <laughs> is, is what what is the most unbelievable part to me is that, like, was Muffy planning this entire thing for like the last couple of years? Because they're all in college together. So she was just like, I've got a twin. You are not allowed to meet any of these people. And we cannot <laughs> talk about this at yeah. all. There are some huge plot holes with sure. her, with her sure. idea here, but in practice, again, I've already said I would not be a fun sport about this, but if this kind of a thing did exist and could work safely and successfully, be pretty fucking cool yeah that would be cool like, a, like, I would a, go. like I, yeah if i knew what was coming i would go but the the remake of this movie has arch cummings uh having sex with boys and it has somebody actually really dying. getting shot yeah uh, because they don't recognize yeah. that it's a joke well yet. that makes a lot of sense because patrick's got a piece of trivia about sure what the do. original ending was supposed to be the film originally had a much longer and more twisted ending. In the original script, after Muffy reveals the whole weekend was set up, the guests leave except for Rob, Kit, Chaz, and Nikki, who sneak back to the house to prank Muffy for revenge. However, when they return, Skip cracks and attempts to kill Muffy in a jealous rage. Rob jumps in and saves Muffy, killing Skip in the process. The ending actually was filmed, but didn't make it to the final cut, as the studio opted for a more upbeat conclusion. This ending is identical to how the book plays out. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm interested I mean, to, I'd be interested to see what is what was he so jealous about that he kills her. Maybe. I mean, I would be pretty fucking pissed off if my twin inherited the fucking house. The house. And, oh, oh, oh. You know, okay. It's never addressed what's what Skip's inheriting. Um, that knife. And I, that knife, yeah. The <laughs> fake it. knife. He, that's all he gets is the fake knife. Yeah. Uh, and then you find out, too, like... House. When when Muffy's doing the whole explanation, she's actually like, hey, the ferryman who got mangled in the beginning is actually a special effects artist who did all of the special effects. And the constable is actually my uncle. And then the boat captain is just the boat captain. <laughs> it's just like, sure. OK, that's that's I, honestly, I think that works. But my favorite part of the whole the whole thing is uh, Biff says some shit like. Yeah, when I was up there swinging, that snake was gonna bite me. And Muffy's like, "Yeah, that wasn't planned. There, that's that snake could have really fucked things up." Also, Harv had a gun, and everyone's like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah." She's like, "It's fine. It's fine. They don't address it after that." But Biff makes the comment that he's like, "Hey, um, I was so scared, I almost shit my pants." And so the boat captain's like, "Uh, son, I was the one who walked up on you, and uh, you definitely shit your pants." <laughs> And then they all just like like fucking just go off on Biff for shitting his pants. And that's why Biff goes on to become a bully in Back to the Future. Exactly. Right. This so is a prequel. The whole group, they pop some champagne. They have a fantastic party. Muffy then leaves. She drunkenly stumbles back to her room, finds a present on her bed. She opens it to find a jack-in-the-box, the one from before. She cranks it up. When it pops open, Nan jumps out from behind her and slices her neck open with a knife. But it's a fake knife. She kisses her on the cheek, says April Fool, and winks at the camera. Roll credits. Yeah, it looks right into the camera. Weird. Cayman. Mm. I okay. fucking hated this ending so yeah. goddamn much. Should have ended so, the scene before. It's or she should have actually killed her. Yeah. Oh, no. I definitely was like, oh, because like, the whole thing that they set up that you find out, and it's like very quick, it's like a blink and you missed it, was that the tape that was playing 
in the room was actually something to do with the fact that she got pregnant mm. and then she had being... an abortion. Nan. Nan, yeah. okay. So I'm like, oh, well, like, dude, if you pull some shit like that, like, that's a, that's not funny. Like, that's right. fucked up, right? right? That's, that's worse that's than cracking the, a joke yeah. about alopecia. That's fucked up. So yeah, no, like, for okay, sure. Like, if you killed her, like, I would have been like, yeah, that's totally justified. Like, not maybe not justified, <laughs> but like, I'm like, okay, that plays. No, you said it, and I agree. He's <laughs> totally <laughs> justified. You said it on tape. This okay, is gonna be fine. A, this is live. Go. I'm not editing this out. Fuck this. Yes, it is justified. Killer. Uh, I am. Um, you should slap comedians if you can. I wrote down a couple of uh, my favorite lines uh, from this movie. Uh, I think it's Nan. It's either Nan or, or it's uh, Kit who says. Um, who says, I don't like this. I definitely think I don't like this. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Love that line. And then uh, Biff at the dinner the first night uh, when they're talking about an essential lack of seriousness, which I can understand. Yeah. He says, uh, he says, I, I said, you got to be kidding. How can anyone be serious about anything if some moron can just steal a bomb or push a button and nuke us all until our shadows glow? Like, you can say I mean, that line today baby yeah yeah like yeah. that's that's topical i agree a thousand percent we're literally on the verge of world war three at any moment so yes that is terrifying and also how the fuck can anyone be serious um but i do want to point out there's one last piece of trivia that might make patrick be a little bit more reasonable with his conclusion of the film. i hope so i hope so uh according to fred walton Paramount executives didn't dislike the infamous deleted third act. They just felt like the movie would end on a higher note without it. However, producer Frank Mancuso Jr., Jeremiah, insisted on tacking on the Jack in the Box ending, which was shot in LA months (sighs) after production had wrapped. Frank. I see, like, yeah, but I just, if you, it makes no sense. Like, that's that's my issue. No, I agree a thousand percent. The thing is, if you remove that scene, like this is just some producer bullshit. Sure. And it's some dude who's probably high on cocaine and he's like, oh, you, you know, you don't need a great idea, man. If we just like, we shot this fucking ending, bro. And we just, we just put that in there. Like, no, nah, dude, this yeah. is like maximum overdrive level. Stephen King high off his fucking ass, making a movie kind of sure. bullshit. And it definitely sours the ending because the yeah. movie could have just ended with them all laughing, drinking champagne and give me a freeze frame. Great. Give me, they're, they're all laughing. Give me a freeze frame because the Jack in the box from the beginning also made no sense. Like there was this exactly. Jack, the Jack in the box made no sense for this. You movie. had to bring it back around. Listen, I like to think that Frank saw the whole movie and it ended and he was like, I don't get it. Could you throw me one more? I think like I think it's like an April Fool's joke, but if you throw me one more April Fool, like one more fake death, and then look right at me into the camera and say April Fool, then I think I I think I'll get it. Sure, sure, sure. But this is what I w- with fair. the ending that we got. This is what I would have wanted. If you'll let me, if you'll have me. Oh please, continue. please fix the movie. Fix it. What I need for this ending to work is a little bit more connective tissue and threads throughout that Nan really has, like, there's something wrong with Nan. Which mm. they kind of do a little bit, but, like, she is, like, completely, like, a child of trauma or something like that. And being pranked like this, like, sent her to a point of no return where she just straight up kills Muffy for doing this as revenge. The kill is real. She doesn't look at the camera and wink, or she does look at the camera and wink, but she doesn't say April Fool. 
I no, think or, or, or she still yeah. does. Or she yeah. still does, but Muffy's crazy look in her eye. And then we get yeah. a sequel where Nan goes on a killing spree. Ooh, yeah. That's what I okay. need. That's what I need okay. to fix this film. So there's one last thing before we get into our final thoughts that I do want to point out. Um, there's been a lot because on I would say several, several, yeah, several of the episodes mm-hmm. we've done so far. The film has ended with a folk ballad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our audience wants to know what the fuck we're talking about when we mention these movies are ending with folk ballads. And so let me bring to you the folk song at the end of the movie entitled Too Bad You're Crazy, which was written and performed by Jerry Whitman specifically for this film. Absolutely. I thought this was from a musical. No, I thought, I'm a musical song... theater kid, and I, I of course, don't know any musical theater. But I thought this definitely came from a musical. It definitely has the like the tune that you would think this would be. Um, but unsurprisingly, this movie, this was movie. literally written just for this movie to use. Um, and Jerry Whitman, I. I have the uh, I obviously have the physical copy of the film. So when you start the movie and it, it comes up, you have the, the DVD screen, you know, with the menu selection. It plays this song over. Mm. And I was like, if I have to listen to this song for another like five minutes, I will probably kill myself. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, at the end of the fucking movie, it plays again. I'm like, you know what? All of these movies, Leprechaun. My Bloody Valentine. Zombievers. All these movies have a fucking Zombievers. All of these movies have a fucking folk tune, jazzy folk tune at the end of the movie that just fucks with you. Folk um, brings us together. It does something. All right, guys. Well, hey, look, that is the end of the movie, which brings us to our next segment. Final thoughts. So, guys, what we do on every episode, we do a final thoughts. But we also ask the question, should we save this film or should we can this film? Patrick, let's start with you. Save it or can it? Here's So here's the thing. I'll be brief. H- having this conversation was a lot of fun. And I think through the lens of, of talking through this movie, I enjoyed it more than actually watching it. So when I just look at the film itself, because not everyone's going to have this, this experience. They'll have this podcast episode and they can listen to us do it, but they're not going to have the experience of sitting around with three of their buds just talking about this movie. So I might can it. Ooh, I might yeah. come back to me. I want to hear both of your thoughts and I will make a final conclusion on whether I should save it or can it. Okay. Jeremiah, save it or can it. Listen, I'm saving this movie. I liked uh, a lot of this movie. I felt like there was uh, humor, especially at the beginning that would be on like an NBC sitcom today. Uh, I thought that uh, it kept me guessing. I sat there and, uh, watched it last night and then watched it again while I was supposed to be working today and kept me entertained. And, uh, I would can the, uh, remake just based on the preview that I watched. Uh, mm. cause that looks like a big old piece of shit. Um, but yeah, I'm saving this for that. And just so that people know that Biff was in other movies. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I will jump in as well. I'm saving this film. I agree with Jeremiah. I think the intro of the film, um, 
I think it works. It's sure it's slow, um, but it builds up the characters. Like you genuinely like actually enjoyed being around these people. Like the comedy is there. It's funny. And it sets up a lot of, there's a lot of clues and red herrings that are set up at the beginning um, that pay off at the end. And I think outside of just that last scene, I think the ending is incredible. I think it pulls everything together in a nice little package. And honestly, like I just had a grin on my face pretty much from the time the movie started till literally the last scene, which I was like, this is stupid. But if the movie would have ended, which honestly, when they're drinking champagne and having a great time, you can turn the movie off. You don't need to see the last scene. Uh, but no, yeah, I definitely think we should save this film. You've convinced me. Yeah, I, I, I'm i being a little harder on this film than I need to, especially considering like, I'm, so I have a little letterbox list where I rank them all the Save Trash Cinema films. Ooh. I currently have this one at number five below The Room above Leprechaun. Interesting. So The Room I saved, Leprechaun I said can it. And I, st- I stand by that. I, I'm going to save April Fool's Day. I'm going to say it's worth saving. I think uh, the for for one main reason, and it's I was invested in what was happening and it tricked me. Mm. Mm. Here's the thing, too. I, I have a, an 18-month-old at home, and we're, we're learning about uh, uh, the choice between one and the other. So when we go into Target and she has a toy in her hands and wants to pick up a different toy, we have to drop that first toy. Mm. I am more than happy to throw this shit in the trash, depending on what new movies start to come down the bike, sure. if we have to uh, choose between them. But for now... I'm holding on to this DVD. I'm, I'm moving it above the room. Actually, I'm going to put this at number four Ooh. in the rankings. Putting it at number four. a live edit, folks. Uh, shall we hit hit this last trivia, Cayman? Let's hit this last trivia. So we'll I'll burn through these uh, last a couple a uh, few things. Due to the film being light on violence, it received frequent airings on late night television, where it gained a large cult following. How about mm. that? The movie's storyline was often has often been likened to Agatha Christie's Ten Little Indians, aka, and then there were none, which sure. makes sense. Uh, during a 30th anniversary reunion screening slash panel, Deborah, who played Nikki, revealed that she was sent a script for an unproduced sequel seven year several years, excuse me, after the film's release. Though she was sketchy on the details and couldn't recall the names of the two writers, the story found Chaz and Nikki, who had gotten married buying a closed down porno theater on 42nd street, New York city that they had planned to turn into a bed and breakfast. But when one of Chaz's college aged relatives arrived for a visit, the games began again. Ironically, Goodrich and her second husband bought the Avon theater in Stamford, Connecticut, where this anniversary screening was held. How about that? Final piece of trivia on our way out the door. There are several clues through the film, which foreshadow that twist ending. In the first scene, Muffy can be seen propping open the window in the cellar through which Kit and Rob crawl in and discover the clues. This was deliberate and crucial to the climax she had planned. Number two, Nan says she met Muffy in drama society. Her acting ability proved to be a vital asset in order to portray her fictitious twin sister, Buffy. Three, Deborah Foreman's nails are painted red through the entirety of the movie, a subtle clue that Muffy and Buffy are the same person. And number four, finally, Muffy slash Buffy announces that the water main must be broken. However, later in the evening when Nikki is packing her bags, she absentmindedly turns on the sink and gets sprayed in the face with water, a clear indication that the water is working fine. I missed that. That's a good one. I didn't recognize that either. So there's a lot of really fun red hair as well. 
Guys, thank you so much, both of you, for being on the show. Patrick, as always. Jeremiah, thank you for being here with us today. And yo, yo, for yo. the audience. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and share the hell out of it with your friends and loved ones and worst of enemies. Honestly, word of mouth is key here, and we aren't beggars. Also, fuck Keith. Gotta say it. If you're Gotta say it. Fuck Keith. If you're interested in video games, check out our main podcast, the Spotlight Games Podcast, on all of your favorite streaming services. We also have a YouTube channel, so don't be a heathen and watch us banter about video games there as well. In the meantime, you can follow me at Kid Kamen, Patrick at Patrick Schwag. Jeremiah, where can they follow you? Uh, J Parker Hobbs on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Beautiful. Or you can follow our main podcast at Spot Games Pod on Twitter and Spotlight Games Podcast on Instagram. If you want to be part of the show, whether it be a guest host or have a movie recommendation, you can reach us at savetrashcinema@gmail.com or Save Trash Cinema on all socials. Remember, fight big box office, save trash cinema. <laughs>